Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? Okay. I'm finishing up a two-week uh, trip across some, some of Europe this week. And I have to say, I've talked to a number of people who do listen to the Weekender. And the one strong message I get from people is that you're too harsh on me and that you need to be a little easier. So I, I want, you to I want to see that. the I want to see the minutes on that in those meetings, Bruce. <laughs> Just take that to heart, Joe. Especially as we start the call today. Yeah. Anyway, so we've been talking we've been talking in the last couple of weeks about the gray grayness in terms of thinking about how much resilience the global economy would show at the start of the year, what degree um, the um, inflation news would uh, continue to move down towards target, and of course, how central banks will process the, the news in a, in a world in which uh, there are these uncertainties. So I think we did get some interesting news this week, perhaps a bit more um, you know, um, clarity on some of, the, some of the issues on growth. And why don't we start with that? Uh, obviously, we had uh, some important news in the U.S. and also our, our DM flash PMIs. Um, generally, I think the news is is encouraging, right? So, but why don't you pick up there and highlight what points you think are uh, most interesting? Well, uh, I guess because we're we're global, I'll start with the uh, the PMIs, and I'll just say the the DM flash PMIs came out, and I I think they made a a step up. I think it was a broad based step up. Um, you can quibble with some of the kind of the moves here or there, but uh, you saw particular increases in the manufacturing side of things, which is something we really needed to see because the December um, uh, PMIs took a, a kind of a worrying step down. I don't think we're yep. out of the woods on any of this, but I think uh, in general, the PMIs uh, were um, I, encouraging as a strong word, but welcomed. Um, we'll get, and by the way, we'll get next week, we'll get the full set of PMIs that allow us to tie up kind of what's really happening, uh, not just on the overall activity side, but I think importantly on the manufacturing side, which has been an area that we have been quite concerned about. So, uh, wait till stay tuned for next week, uh, on that. Uh, the big news of course was, uh, the, the U S side of things and this kind of extremely large, uh, upside surprise. I mean, I should say extremely large. It on, was a big on GDP. Surprise. On GDP, yeah, um, it was a big upside surprise. I mean, again, that you can temper a little bit by saying there was a lot of inventories there, which, by the way, goes back into this manufacturing story, which I won't uh, reopen. Uh, but still, I mean, you've got um, you know domestic kind of final sales running two point seven percent, and I think the important thing to note is that's coming after what was a roughly five percent gain in the third quarter, and just caps off a year that you know, many people out there, and I'll say not us, if I can give us a little credit, thought that a recession was coming and our, you know, our own US team had looked for a US recession starting in the fourth quarter, right? So, I mean, it's a pretty jarring year as a whole and to have a fourth quarter end that way is a reminder that there is a lot of resilience and momentum uh, in the economy there. Um, so that, I yeah, mean, I could, obviously yeah. some inflation news, but on the growth side, that's the story there. If I could jump in beyond the top line numbers that you saw, I think there are a couple of things that are interesting. As you noted, the inventory stuff, you probably do want to fade. But I do think you look across the components of goods demand, there's a pretty nice uh, support that's coming for the global manufacturing sector from U.S. final goods demand, uh, obviously the consumer being a big part of it. I mean, I think the other side of this is that as we've been 
watching this and trying to track underlying resilience, you know, we've been focusing on whether we get balanced income growth. And as you noted, you had this very strong 3Q, which gave you a profit recovery. And now, you know, your nominal growth in Q4 is running about 5%. You had a, a, a bit more modest gain in, in, in labor income. It does set you up for what looks like a pretty good couple of quarter run on profits, which is something which we really feel uh, we need to see to keep this thing going. And that's probably one of the reasons why it does feel as we're sitting here in December, looking into January, that things are continuing to move forward. Yeah, so, I, I totally uh, agree. The income, the income message from this is is really strong. If you look at, um, I mean, remember we don't have corporate income uh, report in this reading. We have to wait one more quarter for that. But you can look at the no, we have to wait GDP two numbers. more. The fourth quarter profit number comes out in the third print. Right. Uh, so, so we have to wait um, two more reports. Two more reports. So. I uh, the but the message there, I think, is um, you look at the nominal GDP and it and it's pointing to a, another solid uh, business income gain against a backdrop of solid labor income gains. And I think if you just look at corporate profit growth over business cycles, uh, you don't if, you, if you're kind of going into recession, you generally see the corporate sector coming under pressure and. You before know, you to, go into recession before you go into recession and by the way that was the narrative right that was the that the thing that everyone has been talking about last year which was hey what's going to happen here is you're going to see corporates coming under pressure and eventually they're just going to have to start cutting costs and that'll be labor market declines and you'll get some mild recession um well that story is completely short-circuited through the second half of the year because not only is corporate income kind of not falling? It's actually accelerating relative to early in the year, right? So early in the year, you could have made that story. It's just not the case. And if yeah. you feel like that income growth is not just telling you the story of the second half, but setting up resilience into the first half, um, you know, I think that really paints a, a different picture and it changes the picture so much that I think it begins to make you wonder is, is this just not, if it's not just about growth holding up but actually maybe too much growth right and that's a well, let's you know, leave let's leave right i, I know that's where that we're going but let's let's put a pin in that point <laughs> yeah let's leave that for a second because i think before we turn to inflation and the fed and other central banks i think we have to bring europe into the picture because europe is a region which has been stalling europe is a region in which there's concern that uh, a combination that stall and reduced pricing power for companies could be hurting corporate profits. And we're really looking for some lift led by the consumer. And the question is, how much better do we feel after the PMI data this week, other news we've seen? It feels to me still a little bit, uh, a little bit too tentative to feel comfortable about what's gonna happen next there. I think less, less clear, certainly less clear than the US. I mean, that's probably the, one of the bigger understatements. Uh, I think it's a little bit better. As I said, the PMI rise was broad-based, and I think that included Europe. Um, PMIs are still very low. And then, of course, you had the IFO in Germany come out, and that was quite weak. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're only looking for five-tenths growth annualized this quarter. Um, and I, maybe we're not quite there yet on the PMIs, but... Um, I, I think tentative is the right word. It's uh, it's not, doesn't feel like things are breaking. Uh, that's encouraging. 
feel like the, the, the resources are there in terms of uh, not only labor income with strong labor markets, but purchasing power with fading inflation. Um, that should yeah. should get a, a consumer response. It should and it could and uh, hopefully right, it would. But, yeah. but, but let me just sort of, I want to get into inflation and, and central banks here, but just let me kind of close this by saying the U.S. is providing a really good engine, but up until now or recently at least, the European weakness has basically been uh, offsetting it. And that's one of the reasons why manufacturing is on such tentative grounds. And it does matter for the overall global picture as we go through the next couple of quarters, whether Europe can give us something positive. So I think that's a pretty important call, even though as we're looking at the US, we're feeling a, a pretty decent about the economy's resilience. And as you say, putting a pin in it, we're actually maybe talking about upside risk here. But let's, before we get into the, the Fed's processing of this, which is I know where you want to go, Joe. Uh, let's talk a bit about inflation. Um, mm -hmm. There's the global uh, there's the global inflation news that, that we now have for December, which is pretty much, I'd say, aligning with our view that, that after a nice run down, things look to be kind of getting somewhat sticky, that the goods pricing uh, that slid into deflation has kind of uh, looking like it's uh, reached its bottom, that service price inflation is not going to be that easy to get down because... Some macro fundamentals are just not that powerful in the same way they were in goods. Um, but then we have this core PCE story in the U.S., which is quite low. So, you know, give me your take uh, and perhaps most interestingly on how we should read the U.S. inflation numbers. Yeah, I think if you look at the if you just looked at the global numbers and we updated our, our global inflation monitor for December this week, um, you would have said, oh, this is tracking our call, which, as, as you laid out, is a view that goods deflation will end and add a little upside to, to the core inflation numbers. Uh, services get stuck around 4% and overall core gets stuck around 3%. Um, that seemed to be tracking. And if we just stopped there, we'd be like, OK, good. The pressures are there. Um, obviously, if you look at, well, I, I'll start with the easier one. If you look at Europe, I mean, Euro area, uh, you know, looks very low right now. We think there's some technical issues. That's an easy one that you're going to get a bounce back there. Uh, it's the U.S., right? So there, there we come full circle, right? So the U.S. numbers, um, I just think there's a lot more progress there. I, I think, um, and we can talk about core PCE, which we will, but the, the gap there with core CPI um, I think that's going to be closing and probably closing more from CPI coming down than PCE going up. Um, there's probably, we, we had a call of core CPI staying around a little over 3% in the first quarter. I think the risk to that are to the downside, um, probably tracking something closer to kind of somewhere between two and a half and three. And then you had this core PCE reading today, which was uh, we were looking for a 0.22. I think on the call last week, I was saying if we get that, that'll be a reminder of, you know, just some of that we're not out of the woods. And yet here we are. And it came in at 0.17. So are we out of the woods? Probably still early, but certainly it feels closer to being out of the woods than, than we did last week. And um, I, I think if we only were focusing on the inflation numbers, I, I would start to be in the camp of, yeah, why not? start in March to take your foot off the, the brakes here. Um, I think what's changed in my mind is no sooner had I become convinced that inflation is looking, you know, sustainably in the right place, not just in the right place, because we argue transitory and all this, 
uh, but sustainably in the right place. No sooner did that happen than the growth side looks just, you know, w- you know, is starting but to look too hot. Let's get into the Fed, but let me just say, I think it's premature to say where inflation is sustainably. I still think there's reasonable well, questions. Well, relative to last week, no? Well, I, I think you had a, a slightly better than expected core PC number. There's nothing else we got on inflation this week. And, you know, in terms You've of had a my thinking on that. On CPI. Assessment I mean, of what? Well, I think you and I thought we were talking about US CPI running core running above 3% or 3.1 this quarter. And now the, I the, still the, think that's of, the bean counters are telling us, actually, you know what? It looks like it's going to be closer to kind of two, six, two, seven. I mean, if, if CPI, core CPI comes out at that, yeah, that's going to change my, my narrative a little bit. But again, yeah, my, I think if that's the only thing that happened, then I would be changing my narrative. It's the growth side that I think is offsetting that in a way I did not anticipate. Fair enough. I'll just say, I think when the dust settles here, we're going to feel closer to three than two on core inflation, both on CPI and PCE as the year evolves. But we'll we'll have to leave that one till we get some more news and maybe I'll end up being being wrong on that. But um, when we kind of put this together for the Fed, as you say, you know, I guess the way I'll frame it is that the Fed obviously is tracking uh, the sustainability of inflation uh, getting down. And part of the way it's doing it is reading the inflation numbers. But there's been a big you know, emphasis on the Fed that their policy stance at five and a half is restrictive and that they need to adjust that because that restrictive policy stance is going to sit on the economy. And as you're saying, there we get some questioning that goes into the uh, conversation as a result of the news that we're seeing. Uh, so where do you think the Fed is in terms of the decision uh, to consider easing? Uh, let's Then we can then turn to the ECB. We had the ECB, obviously, yeah. uh, have a meeting this week. But let's start with the Fed since that's where, where we want to talk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I think... They're certainly not taking March off the table, but I don't think they want to nod too much of, to, to the to the odds that that's on the table. I think they probably you know, would want to guide to, to, to mid-year, but be open-minded about it. Um, I think they, they'll have to acknowledge the impressive progress on inflation more so than they did even in December. Um, but I think they're going to have to recognize the strength of the demand side of the economy. And that they're going to that that strength probably cautions against rushing into rate cuts, which is the way I would probably put it. No need to rush into rate cuts. I mean, let me put it this way. If I were the hawk around the table and the does are saying, hey, we're at two percent. We're there. What are you worried about? I just be like, well, what are you worried about from the dovish side? I don't see the <laughs> the rate, the 550 policy rate slowing things down that much. Uh, and you may say so long that- variable lags, but. I'm, I'm not seeing any lags whatsoever. The economy is just really humming along here. And it's not just one GDP report. It's broad-based measures of activity. It's broad-based measures of labor markets, which, yes, are moderating, but are still growing above 200,000. But, but, but with that, let's just mention we've got a forecast for uh, employment in the January report of 225. What is our forecast for the unemployment rate and average hourly earnings? Uh, un, un, unchanged. Unchanged on the employer rate? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they must be implicit in that, a pretty decent pickup in part rates, which were depressed last month. You're basically comfortable with the June call on the Fed? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I am. I I think the the inflation and and growth picture offset in my mind. Maybe it shifts the risk distribution towards a little bit earlier, uh, but it, it doesn't get me to kind of want to pull that forward. Um, I mean, the growth stuff. I'm, I'm fine me. with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I just feel like, and I've said this before. I just feel like I don't have my finger on the pulse of the way the Fed's been talking to us. They've been talking a bit more dovish than I would have thought, and I just kind of can't fully explain that what it is uh you know I, I, as i've been talking well, i to think clients, you and i differ of- a little bit on that point because you're making a reaction function point and and i don't know you and i debated this i i feel like the rhetoric has been guiding more has been guiding us away from earlier rather than later rate cuts um i mean so much so that, that the dovish leaning bostic on the board explicitly told us third quarter so I don't know. I, that to me is, I can't get more explicit than that. Um, and, and then you got the likes of Logan, who I know isn't voting, but she, I think and she's also generally a hawk. Yeah. A hawk. And, and hawkish, but she says she's not taking rate hikes off the table. Um, now yeah. that was a few weeks ago. Maybe, maybe things have changed, but uh, nonetheless, I, I think the rhetoric has been clear that they don't want to rush in, to rate cuts, uh, rate cuts, and I, I do think one thing they've also been clear on is this idea of not wanting to make a mistake here, uh, not wanting have to have to reverse. But you're course. talking a little different than you were a couple of minutes ago, where you were willing after, if you hadn't had the growth number this this week, to take the uh, core PC number and say that would be enough to have them go in March. So that seems inconsistent right. with what you're well, saying. Well, that's now. more data dependence. Right. I, I do think if the data is changing, then they'll change their views. I think the data changed, but it changed in offsetting ways. Right. So if all we had was the inflation news, it would have to make pull the pull the balance a little bit more. But that's not all we had. I've got a I got a, an economy that is just coming along, not showing any. Yeah, but if you if you think flowing. if you think that a one a one month surprise at 500 on core PC, will take the Fed from June to March, then they weren't very far from March to begin with. It, it, so to be fair, Bruce, and yeah, it, it's not just the core PCE reading, although it is it is kind of adding, it's now three, these kind of several months of soft readings on, on core well, I mean, yeah, with that one, one piece of news this week. Fair enough. I also think I'm incorporating to my mind this, this idea again, that the bean counters <laughs> are on the team are telling me that, you know what guys, core CPI isn't going to be running above 3%. Uh, it's going to be this quarter, it's going to be closer to kind of, you know, you know it's between two and a half and three, uh, let's say two seven. Okay. Um, that's so that's a big change, the, right? That's four or five tenths. Yeah, it's a forecast. We'll see what happens. Well, the, um, yeah. the um, let's go to the um, ECB. We got Bank of England next week, but let's let's start with the ECB here. I'm not sure we learned that much, but um, for what it's worth, well, it does I, I feel think, like it. I actually think we did learn something a little bit. It's it's technical, but I think it'll be important. You know, I think you had um, Lagarde who had earlier kind of opened the door to rate cuts starting around the summertime. Um, and I think you had, but pushed back kind of in a hawkishly about Hey, it's not coming earlier, or the, the depth of the cuts aren't going to be as aggressive, and a, a very sharp focus on labor markets, in particular on wages. And I think the the expectation was that the important data that the 
ECB tends to get on wages was not going to be available until after um, the April meeting, uh, which led us to think that you were going to have these uh, the cut coming more around the middle of the year, like June. Um, what Lagarde did this week in talking about the wage data that she was going to be looking at is she kind of elevated some of these more monthly alt indicators uh, on wages. And that got people thinking, oh, if we see progress on these, maybe the, the cycle could start a little bit earlier. And for what it's worth, I, I'm just looking at something from Greg this morning, one of these kind of telephone surveys that they do on wages. Um, it's come off um, and it's still very elevated, but it's come off notably. And, you know, is that going to be enough to move the needle? I don't know, but it's just showing that they have a, a range of data to be looking at. Now you have to contrast that with uh, probably what's in the back of your mind is that the economy still looks like crap, right? I well, mean, that's what I would say. I think the, right. the wage data, even though you get some of these monthly indicators, the, the key readings on that are really not gonna be available till, till into the springtime. So that's a slow moving uh, yeah. metric. Um, I think the point I would make is the region has stalled over the last number of quarters. Um, we talked about it earlier. There's a little bit of improvement here, but not much. The ECB is expecting a bigger acceleration. I'm not sure I would want to read the reaction function, um, given how um, confident they've been expressed their views on growth, how quickly it would change. But I think, to me, what I, I see is an ECB that will be willing to, to turn more quickly if the growth numbers don't show pickup. I think if we pick up on growth along lines of our forecast, if we feel like we're running 1% as we move towards April, the ECB is going to wait a while, even if the inflation news are good. But I think there's a leverage here, just like you were describing the leverage with the Fed on the upside surprises. If we don't get that lift, I'd, I'd be inclined to think they go go in April, but we'll see how the, how the region um, uh, evolves. I think from my point of view, what I want to kind of continue to hit as we're going through this is for a number of reasons in terms of, as we said, for the global manufacturing cycle, in terms of some of the issues around inflation globally, and also on the central bank reaction function, the, the position Europe's in and how it gets resolved in the next few months, which I think is still much more cloudy than the US as we've been describing things, is a pretty important uh, part of the uh, global outlook right now. So maybe we'll end on that, Joe. We got uh, well, a I, lot I, to go okay. I, th I thought you were going to follow that up with something else. But let, let me just add to the to the euro area story. Um, if you felt like this weak growth was going to be the, the lever that kind of takes the pressure off the labor market and wages, and therefore the ECB should just kind of chill out about its concerns over the labor market and, and, and get going on cutting to support the economy because the damage is done, I mean, the other news we had this week is that, you know, German train drivers just announced a record six day strike, which has basically shut down the country. Right. I mean, no one's moving anywhere. And that's not just commuters. That's also in industry in terms of supplies. Um, and I think if labor unions feel like they have that much control um, or bargaining power, it's suggesting things aren't aren't quite weak enough. Um, and what they're arguing over is more pay um, yep. and better hours. So something okay. to think about. Okay. So I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, I got to go board my flight in a few minutes um, and you got to go finish the publication up. So yeah. <laughs> thanks everybody.
I hope we can continue the conversation next week on the weekend there.